A lot of leaders never take succession planning seriously because they feel like they either don't need it or don't know where to start. Today, how to start with succession planning. This is Coaching for Leaders, episode 153. Produced by Innovate Learning. Maximizing human potential. Greetings to you from Orange County, California. This is Coaching for Leaders, and I'm your host, Dave Stahoviak. This is a weekly coaching show to help us all be better leaders through improved communication, human relations, and personal leadership, the tools that you need in order to be effective in your leadership role. I'm so glad you have joined us again for another episode of the show. And I'm thrilled this week to welcome back a past guest from Coaching for Leaders. Uh, He first appeared on episode 118 when we had a conversation about the difference between management and leadership. And Bill Bliss was so kind to join us for that conversation. And a number of people had commented on the value of that conversation. And if that's something you've ever wondered about, the difference between management and leadership, I'd certainly encourage you to go back and check out that dialogue that we had. And Bill and I have continued our dialogue since that episode aired last year. And Bill has is just launching a new book that I knew would be of value to the Coaching for Leaders community. And I've asked him to come back and to speak about a topic that is of so much importance to all of us as leaders, but frankly is one that a lot of us don't really think about very much, which is identifying and developing our successors. And so I'm glad to have Bill back with us. Bill is a advisor with over 25 years of experience coaching and developing business owners, CEOs, presidents, family business owners, and leaders in other uh, senior positions. And he's provided practical and cost-effective leadership development solutions that increases alignment and engagement at the leadership level. And he's someone that is really just a ton of practical wisdom on helping leaders to be successful. Bill, I'm so glad to have you back on the show. Welcome again to Coaching for Leaders. Well, thanks, Dave. It's uh, it's really great to be back and and appreciate you asking. Well, I'm really excited about your new book. And I, I was really, you know, I had talked uh, prior to us talking today about the importance of developing a successor and having a succession plan. And I think that a lot of us have heard about this. We've maybe done a little thinking on it. A lot of people give lip service to it. In reality, though, many of the organizations and leaders that I've worked with have not really done a lot of real work around this. And when I saw that you had really thought through this in a big way, this is something I think that that really you can offer us a lot of wisdom on. So uh, bef- before we get into the the what to do around succession planning, I know there's a lot of reasons that people don't do this. And, and you hit on this in, in the book. And I'm wondering if maybe we could spend a few minutes of looking at what are some of the common you know misconceptions people have about succession planning and why people just don't address it. So I, what I did is in, in the book is I've identified um, several myths um, and we won't go through all of them here, but essentially the, the, the myths really get around to the owner or the, the president or CEO of the business saying, listen, I just don't want to make 
the hard decisions that I'm going to have to make in order to make some leadership decisions for this organization in the future. So they'll give some reasons like, well, the organization is mine and I'll do what I want to do with it, or the organization is too small to have a succession plan, or um, it's, I just don't know how to create it, or those kinds of things. And really, what I've found, Dave, is that what people are saying is that they just don't want to have to face making that hard decision. It really comes into play most often in some family-run companies. And you, I know you work with a lot of them, so you can, you can understand this, that the, the current head, whether that be the first generation or second generation, knows that they're about ready to depart and they want to keep it in the family, so they look to their children. So who's the, who they think is the most capable uh, of the children or, or whatnot to take over. And they just make the assumption that, well, maybe the, because John is the oldest one, then he ought to get it. And without really doing a lot of good, critical, objective thinking about who is really the right one to take over, and not just take over the way it is presently, but take over the way our vision says it will be or where we want to get to three, five, ten years from now. And I think that's what a lot of people, it's, sometimes it's just scary for some people to have to deal with that. So they create some of these other reasons why they're not doing it. Well, it's a, and I think a lot of the fear here is kind of the same reasons a lot of people don't handle things like, you know, a will and life insurance of, you know, it is it is hard to come up upon the realities of what do we do after our leadership or in some cases after our lives and how do things move forward after that um, at, at kind of a smaller level of what's next and, and how do I move beyond just thinking about myself? And I, I love that you mentioned in the book the myth of a business owner or even a CEO saying, you know, this is my organization. I don't really need to worry about succession planning because I'm the owner, I'm the CEO, it's my business. And you make the point that it's not really just your organization. And could you could you say a little bit about that? Sure. Well, let's take a let's take even a small organization um, that has maybe five or ten employees in it. The, the CEO, the owner, is the founder. Uh, he or she is the one who got this thing off the ground. They they've invested their whole life into it, and. Um, sometimes what they don't realize is that if something unexpectedly happens to them, that the impact of them not being around nor having an appropriate leader to take over, fill in the reins, is not only devastating, potentially devastating to the five or ten employees that may need direction, um, may need guidance, may need approval to do things, whatever those things are, more importantly, Dave, it's about the family members of those five or ten employees who are relying on um, their this employee to bring in income and, and whatever else they do. So by not having some kind of plan or some kind of thinking, whether you call it succession planning, it doesn't matter, but some kind of thinking around what's going to happen to this company if I become incapacitated somehow. So it's not just about when you, when you plan to retire or leave the business. It's about covering for 
unfortunate circumstances that sometimes we just don't know when they're going to happen and, and, and can't control. I'll share one story with you that is a personal example I know. I knew of a, um, a business owner who had this five or ten, it was probably ten or twelve employees. They ran a um, kind of an IT consulting firm or software development consulting firm. The owner was a guy. He was married. He had, as I said, 10 or 12 employees. And at 50 years old, you know, who's, he's thinking, oh, I've got another 10, 15 years before I want to get out of here and whatnot, and I'll take my time at developing my successor. And Well, he had a stroke. And the stroke was so debilitating, he couldn't go back into the business again. Mm. He was the 100% owner, so the leadership and management and day-to-day responsibility fell to his wife who was completely unprepared, not to mention uninterested in running that business. And thankfully, actually a friend of mine who knew them stepped in to offer to run the business on an interim basis and, and had to make some major decisions. But had that not happened, the impact on not just the employees, but these employees' families would have been devastating. You know, I think you paint a really important picture for why this is important. And really, this is just one reason. Uh, There's so many reasons that don't even rise to that level of crisis that a leader wants to be thinking about succession planning for wonderful reasons, too. If people move on, are promoted, move into new roles, um, move on to new opportunities in their careers. And for all those reasons, we really do need to be prepared from a leadership standpoint of what are we going to do when those inevitable changes happen. And uh, and you've, you've taken the time to really strategize and detail out uh, five of these key strategies around succession planning. And I, I think maybe looking at some of these in detail would be of real value to people here. So uh, one of the keys here with succession planning is the, the principles as far as development of leaders requires an investment of time and money. And so I think if we're all really looking at this from a practical standpoint, this is also probably one of the big stoppers of, of taking the time to invest in this is it does. It is an investment. It takes time and money. What do you, when you're talking with people, Bill, are, are looking for as far as advising people on where to start with those? In, in, in this kind of discussion, usually what we get to is not what does the company look like today and what does it need today in terms of a leader, but what does it need five years from now? Where is this company going to be five years from now? Are they going to be in different markets? Are they going to be in different product lines? Are they going to have different sales or marketing or distribution channels? And how capable are we today to be ready for that in five years? So that's where this whole leadership development discussion starts. It's not about getting better for today. It's about being ready for that future so that you don't have leadership obstacles or leadership, leadership struggles or challenges when you have market opportunities to be able to take advantage of. Does that make sense? It does make sense. So it's getting beyond the what's going on today, who's the customer tomorrow, how are we going to actually plan forward to have a long-term vision? And it actually gets back to what we talked about back when you were on the show last of having that long-term vision, that that's a key part of leadership. Exactly. To pour into developing people so that they're capable of running 
whatever organization, whether it's a department or division or entire organization, for today and, and knowing that they won't be ready to do that for three or four years really doesn't help you. You really have to think in the future, um, think in, in terms of the future along these lines. And so the, the technique that I use is I, I help the, the business owner or the, the leader identify what, is the, what are the opportunities likely to be like three or four years from now. And so once, once they have kind of a picture of that and, that, and that's really, as you said, their vision, what are the leaders, at least the leadership competencies, skills, behaviors, talents, et cetera, that are necessary to be in place at that time? And that's what you start to develop. Once you identify those, then we do a little assessment and, 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 and determine what you need to do now to be ready in six or 12 months for that three to five year period looking up in the future. And you even go as far in the book here to give people a target and you suggest that a, a target amount of when you think about this from a investment standpoint of looking at a 10% number of a person's base salary that you would invest in their leadership development. And have you found that companies are successful at being able to make that investment and, and, and those that do, do they, do they see results from that? Well, they, those that do definitely see results. The, the, the big time example is General Electric and everybody points to Jack Welch and you know, what a leader he was when he was running GE for those 20 years. Do you know what he spent 50% of his time on? Probably people development. Leadership development. Yeah. So if a, if, a, if a CEO like Jack Welch thinks it's that important, shouldn't the rest of us, even in a five or 10 person company and a hundred person company? Because that's what's really, you know, John Maxwell says leadership is the difference maker. And that's what's going to allow a company to continue to be in business and grow and prosper is, is based almost exclusively on the talent of their leadership team. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I, I, this is such a key point because I, I'm sure you run into this all the time, as I do too, that when people get into senior management roles, they sometimes, they don't appreciate, I think, a lot of the time that leadership development is, if not the most important part of their job, a very key part of their role. And so for so many people, that's kind of an afterthought in a lot of cases. They're thinking about strategy or finance things or marketing, but they're not thinking about the people development. And it's, it's such a key, key competency. Well, I open up that chapter in the book by saying it can arguably be said that the number one role of any leader is to identify and prepare their successor. If a leader has not done this, regardless of all else they have accomplished, they have failed in their role as a leader. Now that might be a little bit too harsh for some people, but I firmly believe that. If you haven't developed your successor, you haven't performed as a leader. The second principle you mentioned is leadership development is a multifaceted approach. Tell me what you mean by that. So leadership development can happen in a variety of ways. And some companies have their own in-house training programs. Some companies utilize the services of external 
program, and there are some excellent ones out there, like Center for Creative Leadership is a really outstanding program, and they have different series for different levels of, of people in an organization. Uh, some people or some companies value um, mentors, the expertise that a mentor can bring to a certain situation. Some larger companies uh, focus a lot of their leadership development on experiential learning. So they will put their leaders in situations where they're literally forced to learn certain things about leadership. The point here is that it is a multifaceted approach, and one size doesn't fit all for all companies, nor, and more importantly, for all individuals within the company. And I might be a little self-serving here. I probably am, but uh, in, in my view, and not just mine, but a lot of other experts in this, one-on-one -on -one coaching is the most effective way for the majority of people, not everybody, but the majority of people, because it, it, it is the technique that has the most transformational impact on developing leaders, because it's all focused about them, and it's all personalized. If done correctly, in my view, it's all personalized to who they are, what their strengths are, and what they need to do to grow in that role and future roles. And having coached and been coached, it is something that absolutely is that that personal touch. There's not really a replacement for that. It is something that's a it's an important part of a person's development, whether that's with an external coach or someone within the organization or a mentor. It is it is really valuable. It is. You say it's not enough just even to have the succession plan, but also to have a backup succession plan too, in case the first strategy doesn't play out. And I'm thinking about the recent conversation with Chris Hatfield, who was on the show and talked about, you know, thinking through leadership and situations as an astronaut and trying to uh, trying to figure out what happens in the worst case scenarios. But but you say, you know, even from a succession planning standpoint, that that's really important too. Well, sure, because you could put all your eggs in one basket, as it were, in terms of of developing a successor for your position or for the CEO or from C for some key leadership role in your organization. But what happens if that person, unbeknownst to you, gets the opportunity of a lifetime and leaves? What happens if that person has, as we've seen in many cases, has uh, an issue come up with their character? And so to have backup plans to the backup plan is, is, is really the point here. That, and, and the best practice around succession planning is the degree to which you can do it for every key position have three backups. Now, all three may not be fully ready to assume the role if something happens, but at least you've thought more than one person. Because again, life happens. We just don't know what's going to happen. And I don't mean to, to, to be the, you know, kind of the woe is me and, and, and get everybody all panicked in crisis situations. I think you know me well enough to know that that's not my style at all. I do know that it is, I've seen it so many times that people just weren't ready for it. So that's why we have to plan for it. Well, it's a, such a real issue, Bill. The, the situation you described almost exactly happened to me. I worked for a small business where the small business owner passed away very suddenly of a heart attack. And there was, thankfully, a succession plan in 
place. But even with the succession plan, it was a huge, huge adjustment for the business. And had that not been there, that would have been a major, major roadblock for that organization. And so, you know, it, it's a reality that regardless of what the change is, whether it's the next opportunity or someone, you know, leaves for whatever reason, that that is is critical. And and you know, this is I think leads to your next point on this, which is that you make in the book, which is that we have to be able to let go as leaders, um, especially if we've you know, we're the legacy leader. We've been in that position maybe for a while, and we're we're often moving on to another opportunity ourselves in a leadership capacity if we're not the owner or CEO. Um, or And even if we are in that role, we may want to take on another opportunity or get involved with another business. And so w- we really do have to let go, don't we? Well, we do. And, I, and, and unfortunately, in the role that I have, I've seen situations where the owner of the business uh, whether it's they, they pass it on to a family member or to an outsider, it doesn't matter. If that person hangs around and doesn't allow the new person to build their own relationships in their new role as the leader, then the likelihood is there for the existing employees, the existing uh, leadership group to continue to, to quote-unquote consult with uh, the person who has not quite let go. And it really disempowers the new leader that you've appointed if you hang around. Or if you, you know, in, in the example that you gave, where if a leader moves on to something else within the company, um, they have to consciously move on and intentionally move on and still be of support to their former staff, but not get in the way. Not, not triangulate any of those relationships. That's where some real damage happens. And, and it really, unbeknownst to them, it, it, it sets up the indication that, well, if I continue to be involved, I'm really sending a signal that I'm not really so confident in the decision I made to replace me. What's helpful for leaders you've coached around this of being able to make that separation appropriate? And like you said, still, you know, maybe help out informally here or there and be a mentor, but what have you found that's really worked around that as far as a practical strategy of, of really separating and, and, and really handing it over to that person who's now in the role? Sure. The practical answer is, is, is actually quite simple. Develop interests in something else. So I'm working with a legacy CEO now of a fairly large company who has announced retirement. He's 70 years old. It's a brand name company. You could all be familiar with it, but he's announced his retirement. And what I'm working with him on, believe it or not, is developing interests for what he's going to do day one of retirement. Mm. Because he knows, and I know, that he's so passionate about this organization. And it's not even his. It's not a, it's not a private organization. So he has no... It's not like he's the, the founder of it or the owner of it. He's just a hired hand, even though he's the CEO. If he doesn't have things to go to, he'll still be engaged. And that's really going to disempower the person that they have hired as, as their new CEO. So develop those interests in another area or in the new part of the organization if you're moving on or maybe outside the organization, and that will help put your focus where you want it to be. 
Exactly. And, and really, it's, it's, it's not about, it's, well, it is about putting your focus where you want it to be, but it's also the more intentional you are about doing that and having that plan and executing that plan, the less time you have to stay involved. And that's really what we're trying to get after, is, is create reasons why they can't be involved. You say also, and I think this fits right in with this, is that leaders have to really subordinate their own pride and ego for the sake of the success of the organization. And, and this really comes about when leaders say to themselves, especially the, the founder of a business, but they say that, or the, you know, the, the, the very high-profile CEO of a public business, they say to themselves, gee, I built this company. I got it to where it is. Nobody could possibly have done what I have done, and nobody possibly can, uh, can continue it like I have. Well, I'm sorry, Mr. CEO, but that's a bunch of pride and ego speaking. Realize that as a leader, it's not about us. It's about the organization. So what do I need to do to put that organization first and me, not even second or third, but way down on the list. You know, I heard something, um, I heard something just today, or read something just today, that there's a, a practice in the Marine Corps for the senior officer, when, whenever they go to the mess hall for, for their meals, the senior officer is the one who eats last, mm. who gets online last. The most junior person is the one who gets online first. I never would have thought that. I would have thought rank has its privileges, and the senior officer comes in, everybody stands up, salutes, and, and, and makes way, you know, makes a path to the, the food line for that person. Well, that's not how the Marines work, because they want the leader, they want all the people to know that the leader has their best interest in mind before their own. And that's really what I mean here by the, the leaders need to subordinate their own pride and ego for the sake of the organization. That's a great that example. Sense. Yeah, it's a great yeah. example. And uh, we have a few Marine officers who listen to this show. So hopefully one of them will write in and tell us even a little bit more about that uh, and how that, work, yeah. how that works in yeah. practice, because that's, uh, that's a great example. You know, okay, so I, th- I think probably people are thinking, all right, I've got it. I need to have a succession plan, if not for all of my roles, at least some key ones. So where do we start? You know, what's the, you know, for those who have not, you know, maybe they've heard that this is important. Um, Maybe prior to this conversation today, I haven't really given much thought to it at all. What's the first thing that we can do immediately that gets us along this path, Bill? Well, the first thing we, we kind of touched upon it earlier is to, is to really get clear in your mind where this organization, whether it's my department my division, the entire organization, where this is going to be three to five years from now. Whether I'm here or not, what's it going to take? What kind of leadership is it going to take for my current unit to be fully capable, fully resourced to operate in an exceptional way three to five years from now? Once you get that nailed down. Then you go back and you look at, okay, well, so what do I have? What, what, what resources do I have? What are, the, what are the skill sets of the leaders that I have underneath me now? 
and who is most closely ready to take on that position and, and be capable of leading us in that three to five year period? Who were the one, two, or three people? And hey, if, if you come up with a zero on that, amen to that, at least you're aware of it, and at least you admit it. So then the plan would be to go recruit somebody from the outside who can fill that role because nobody on the inside has any real chance of getting there in the foreseeable future. And by foreseeable future, in succession planning terms, we generally talk about you know, the, the one to two or two to three year time frame. Well, it's like Stephen Covey was famous for saying, begin with the end in mind. So it sounds exactly. like that, yeah. that, yeah, that starting point is figure out where you're going first as an organization. And I know sometimes leaders struggle with this because they say, well, I can't know where I'm going to be in five years. But, you know, of course, the plan is never going to be perfect. But, but a lot of times we can get a reasonable idea of where the organization's heading and where we want to be three to five years from now. So if we can start there as a beginning point, that really then... Um, that then really creates the framework for what we're going to do next as far as succession planning. Right. So then, then if you look and you say, okay, well, I've got one or two people here who are, uh, let's say that they're 60 or 70% there already. What's, that, what's the missing stuff? What's the gap? And going back to the leadership development as a multifaceted approach, what is best for that person to close the gap from 60 to 90 or or 70 to 100% in terms of their readiness and their capabilities? Is it it. coaching? Is it sending them to CCL? Is it sending them to an executive education program at Harvard or Wharton or Stanford or something like that, which are all great programs. They really are. Uh, But what's going to be the most impactful for that four-year organization and for that person or persons you have in mind? Awesome. I love it. And you know what, Bill, I'm thinking that I think one of the biggest challenges for a lot of us is we're not always willing to take that that very first step. And so one of the things I'd really encourage people to do is to go on the show notes for this episode and to leave a comment and let us know that you've done some thinking about this, that you've taken that first step. Maybe even say a little bit about where you're going to be three to five years from now. And, um, and Bill, I didn't ask you about this in advance, but maybe this might be a fun thing to do is um, we can pick one of those comments at random and maybe you're, uh, if you'd be up for g- having them get a free copy of your book um, as a, as a sure. thank you. For- oh, absolutely. Yeah. I'd be delighted to, to look at those, at those comments and if you would allow me to, to, to kind of um, feed into them and, and, and maybe give them some, some thoughts to think of, if, if not just some encouragement that, yeah, I think you're on the exact right track. Awesome. Well, let's, let's do that. Yeah, let's do that for sure. So here's what you're gonna you're gonna want to do. So once you listen to this episode, you'll get the uh, the notes here on Wednesday. If those of you get the weekly updates on email, um, go on to the link, and I'll have the link here at the end of the uh, at the end of the episode as well as the link for Bill's book. Uh, but go on the link, leave a comment about what you're doing around your three to five year action plan. So Bill will jump in, I'll jump in, we'll add in our thoughts as well and give you some encouragement. And we'll also pick one of those at random and uh, make sure you get a copy of the book as well. So that's that's awesome. Um, so we'll keep the conversation going that way. Speaking of which, the book again is Success in the C-Suite, Top 7 Strategies for Extraordinary Achievement. And it is literally hot off the presses, so hot, in fact, that we don't yet, as as we're airing the 
interview here. We don't yet have the exact link for the book. So where you'll want to go is blissassociates.com. That's Bill's website. He'll have a link there on the main site. And then right after the interview here on the closing of the show, I'll have the link that will update uh, once the link is live uh, after the recording here. Bill, I am so grateful for your time and your wisdom on succession planning. Thank you so much for taking the time to share your wisdom with us. Very happy to do it. Great to engage again, Dave. Bill Bliss is with Bliss Associates, and the book again is Success in the Suite. If I could talk, Success in the C Suite: Top Seven Strategies for Extraordinary Achievement. Thanks, Bill. Thanks, Dave. You already heard the practical action coming out of this dialogue, and that's the question, what action are you taking on your three to five year action plan? And for the vast majority of the Coaching for Leaders community, we should be thinking about and taking action on our succession plans if we haven't already. So I hope you will go and join the conversation on the show notes. Bill and I will jump in as well and add in feedback and encouragement where we can, and we will pick one of those comments at random in order to receive Bill's book for free. So if you would like to join in, go to coachingforleaders.com slash 153 and just scroll down to the bottom and you can add in a comment. And if you'd like to get Bill's book, we didn't even touch on the other six parts of the book here. There's a, a lot of value here. And the link I mentioned would be here at the end of the episode. It's successinthecsuite.com slash ebook. And there's a little hyphen between the E and book, but you'll get it in the Wednesday weekly update. For those of you who are in the weekly update, you'll get the link for that. And of course, it's also at the show notes, coachingforleaders.com slash 153. So watch for that when you get the message this week in your inbox. And of course, I always welcome comments, questions, or feedback on anything we've talked about in the show or for our next Q&A show coming up on getting organized. If you have a question, comment, or feedback, the place to go for that is coachingforleaders.com slash feedback. And speaking about links, I wanted to mention something new I'm doing. Some of you may have already noticed who get the weekly updates on a regular basis is uh, every week when either I have a guest on or Bonnie and I talk about uh, different resources and tools and software or books that we recommend, I always put those links in the show notes so you can get to them by going to the website or those of you who get the weekly updates, get those in your email boxes on Wednesday. And you may have noticed that some of those links now have a little asterisk symbol after them. And that is the indicator for you that that is an affiliate link. And for those of you who aren't familiar with how this works online, what an affiliate relationship is, is it's when uh, a entity like me, for example, in this case, partners with another organization that sells a product or service and uh, teams up to recommend that service. So for example, if we recommend a book that you can purchase on Amazon, the link that we put with the little asterisk next to it means that it goes through Amazon Um, And at no cost to you, Amazon pays us a very tiny commission on that purchase. So I wanted to let you know about that so you know the affiliate links are there. I've put it on the website as well. But I also wanted to let you know because if you would like to support the show 
and uh, help us out at no cost to you. It's a great way to do that. And it really does make a difference on our end as far as continuing to invest in the resources, equipment, website hosting, all of that that we put into the show. So if you plan on making or ever do make a purchase in the future based on something you've heard about on the show, um, watch for those links. And when it's possible, we'll have those affiliate links there. And of course, you can always do that on your own too, of just going to the website. But if you use the link, it really will help out to support the show. So thank you so much in advance if you choose to do that. I'm so grateful. Uh, So many of you have been just so supportive of this show, of me, of Bonnie, of this entire community. And it's another way that you can reach out and support the ongoing work that we're doing with the show. And speaking of thanking people, thank you so much to those of you this week who did subscribe to the weekly update that comes out on Wednesday. And that this week was Andrea Perlstein, Amanda Shields, Demarius Perez, Shah Taz, Romina Garate, Matthew Avery, Ashley Martin, and Ramij Sukumar. Oh, Ramij, I hope I said the, your last name and first name right there. Hey, thank you, all of you, for joining the weekly update. And if you join the weekly update as well, uh, not only will you get the show notes for every episode and the links in your inbox on Wednesday for each podcast, you'll also get a weekly article from me that will help you in your leadership skills to be more effective. Plus, you'll also get a downloadable guide right away on the 10 leadership books that will help you get better results from others, including the two that I rely on weekly. So if you'd like to get access to that, just go to coachingforleaders.com slash subscribe. So again, coachingforleaders.com slash subscribe and watch for that in your inbox every Wednesday. Hey, have a great week and I look forward to talking with you next Monday. Take care.